0: Hey, welcome to episode number 170 of More Than Bread. My name is Dan, and I'm your host for this scripture-saturated podcast. This podcast gains its title from words that were shared in both the Old Testament and the New Testament of the Bible, And, and these are the words, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, we need more than bread for our stomachs, we need the word of God for our souls. In the New Testament, this mantra was actually uttered by Jesus, who himself claimed to be the bread of life. The Apostle John, on the other hand, just went ahead and and called Jesus the Word. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the Word. Jesus, more than anything else, is what we need for life. And who we find when we come to Scripture. No matter where we start, listen to me, no matter where we start, sooner or later, if we don't get to Jesus... We took a wrong turn. So in this chapter of the podcast, we're looking at four letters that Paul wrote from a Roman prison. Ephesians is the first, and and we're actually on chapter two. I wasn't sure if I'd ever get out of chapter one, but we're on chapter two of Paul's letter from prison to his friends in the community of Ephesus. So listen as I read just the first seven verses, Ephesians chapter two, verses one through seven. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Here's what it says. Once you were dead, Imagine reading that in a letter. Those are my words. (laughs) Once you were dead. This is Paul's letter to his friends in Ephesus. Once you were dead, doomed forever because of your many sins. You used to live just like the rest of the world, full of sin, obeying Satan, the mighty prince of the power of the air. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Now, you're going to see this, my words. You're going to see this over and over again. Paul is not afraid to call out. The evil forces against us. He he has a pretty strong theology of, of spiritual battle. We're going to see that even more in Ephesians 6. He is the spirit. Satan is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And all of us, Paul says, all of us used to live that way, fulfilling the passions and desires of our evil nature. We were born with an evil nature, and we were under God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, he loved us so very much that even while we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is... It is only by God's special favor or grace that you've been saved. For He raised us from the dead along with Christ, and we're seated with Him in the heavenly realms all because we are one with Christ Jesus. And so God can always point to us as examples of the incredible wealth of His favor and His kindness toward us, as shown in all that He has done through us for us in Christ Jesus. Dead, doomed, and damned. <laughs> That was our state, our identity, our address. Every once in a while when my kids were young, my boys and I would play this game. I almost shouldn't tell you this, you know, the game. So how would you rather die? Would you rather, and then we'd give two options. I won't even tell you the options we came up with because I'm sure it would reveal something not good about me. But as I was pondering Paul's opening words in Ephesians 2, I was reminded of a story about one way that I would not have liked to die In the mid-18th century, waves of disease and death swept through the villages of Europe, filling cemetery after cemetery. There were no laws then about grave sites like we have today. So grave sites were often recycled. They dug up the coffins of those who had been buried centuries past, removed the remains, and buried new bodies. Interesting thing, when they reopened the coffins, they discovered something out of your worst nightmare. In 2 to 5% of the cases... There were scratch marks on the inside walls of the coffins, claw marks, kick marks, bodies that were turned over with their backs to the coffin lids as if trying to break out, even teeth marks. In other words, one out of every 30 or so people were being buried alive. And the word spread like wildfire. The fear of being buried alive became one of the one of the greatest fears of the latter half of the 18th century at a time when medical science was in its infancy and, and embalming was not customary. People were being buried alive. In fact, the whole idea of awake was for the families to stay with the body around the clock in case the deceased woke up. George Washington was so afraid of being buried alive that he put in his will that he not be buried until five days. Smell that. <laughs> Five days after being declared dead. tease people's fears, cemetery caretakers came up with an ingenious idea. They tied a string on the wrist or the ankle of the deceased, thread it through the coffin, up through the ground. Then on top of the grave, they mounted a little bell tower. If you were fortunate enough to be in that, unfortunate enough, excuse me, to be in that 2% group, you would wake up and ring the bell. That's where the phrase originated, saved by the bell buried alive. Man, imagine that. What a tragedy. What a horror to be alive, but but dead to the world, to be alive, but not able to live, not able to do anything that mattered. Listen again to Paul's words in just the first part of Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 3. Once you, he's talking to you, he's talking to me. Once you were dead, doomed forever because of your many sins. You used to live just like the rest of the world, full of sin, obeying Satan, the mighty prince of the power of the air. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And all of us used to live that way, following the passions and desires of our evil nature. We were born with an evil nature and under God's anger, just like everyone else. This is our story. And man, it's a rough beginning, but it gets better. Let let me just let me just pick a few of the words out in that description dead <laughs> once you were dead. Now this runs counter to what we believe but it aligns with what we experience in the physical world we are born we live and then we die. But when it comes to spiritual realities we are born dead. In, in the Old Testament in in Ezekiel 36, verses 26 through 27, God diagnoses the condition of our soul apart from a connection with him. And he basically says, you're dead. You need a new heart. You you have a heart of stone, but you were created for a heart of flesh. We were born dead. <laughs> if you don't know Jesus, something is missing and that something is life. And the reality is that at least some of us know what I mean when I say that we can breathe our way from birth to death without ever finding life. And not only were we dead, here's another good word, happy word, doomed. We were doomed. It means inevitable destruction or ruin, destined to an unhappy ending. Paul says that we were doomed forever because of our many sins. Full of it, he says. You you are full, You full. were full of sin. I don't know if you've ever had an experience where it just seems like sin gets out of control in your life. And you know, some of those experiences... Um, they, they kind of because of our culture, they're kind of hidden. I, I want to suggest to you that greed is one of those sins that we get full of without even realizing how full we are of it. And and it, we don't usually start out of control, right? It starts with an innocent lie. It got you out of trouble. Nobody ever found out. But a decade later, you told so many lies, you lost track of reality. Or it starts with a little hate, or a little pornography, or a little apathy, or just a bit of self-centeredness that treats other people as a means to an end. Just a little bit of materialism and a little bit of greed, and then it grows, and it will grow, and make no mistake, as sin grows, it grows, and as it grows, it's writing an unhappy ending to your story. Some of you are saying, wow, thanks, Ann. You're making my day. My morning, afternoon, and evening are all set, and now I need a reset. (laughs) I came looking for encouragement. I got some encouragement from the Psalms, but now I'm getting dead and doomed. Well, buckle up because there's another dark word. We're dead, we're doomed, and we're damned. Paul says we're we're under God's anger. We're headed for an appointment with God as our judge instead of God as our Father. I mean, forget for a moment the question of the reality of hell, whether in this life or the next, to be under God's anger is what it means to be damned. Paul says all of us used to live that way, following the passions and desires of our evil nature, and we were under God's anger, just like everybody else. Listen, i I know that we probably don't usually think in these terms, dead, doomed, and damned. And, and if we do use words like that, they're reserved for the hard cases. They're, they're reserved for people who really mess up. They're reserved for, you know, people who kill people. And they're reserved for war. And, and you know, I, that's just, that's not me because I know I'm not perfect, but I'm good enough, right? Psychiatrist Scott Peck wrote a meeting with a depressed 15-year-old named Bobby who was increasingly troubled after his 16-year-old brother killed himself with a twenty-two rifle. Peck tried to probe Bobby's mind, but he, he just got nowhere. He, he was searching for ways to establish a, a, a relational bond, and so he asked what Bobby had received from his parents for Christmas, uh, what Bobby had received from his parents for Christmas, and, and Bobby said, a gun. And, and Peck was just kind of stunned. Well, what kind of gun? A twenty-two. More stunned. How did it make you feel getting the same kind of gun your brother killed himself with? It wasn't the same kind of gun peck felt a little better it was the same gun for christmas bobby had been given the gun his brother used to kill himself and this led to a meeting with the parents in which peck attempted to confront them about their actions and, and what it was doing to their son but what struck peck most about his conversation with the parents was their deliberate and absolute refusal to acknowledge any wrongdoing on their part Two decades later, Peck became had become a follower of Christ, and, and he wrote about this encounter, and he said, one thing has changed in the last 20 years. I now know Bobby's parents were evil. I didn't know it then. I felt they're evil, but I had no vocabulary for it. My supervisors were not able to help me name what I was facing. The name did not exist in our professional vocabulary. As scientists rather than priests, we were not supposed to think in such terms. There's more, though. Though Peck often worked with convicted prisoners, as he compared Bobby's parents and the men in jail, he discovered that he rarely found evil in the jail. And he finally concluded that the central defect of evil is not the sin, but it's the refusal to acknowledge it. See, without Christ, without the gift of Christ, without the kingdom of heaven breaking into the kingdom of this world, without heaven bursting forth in the earth, there's only death, doom, and damnation. Life without Christ is like being buried alive, dead to the world, and worse, not willing to admit how much we need help. So just ask yourself right now as you listen, am I kind of living life buried alive, dead, doomed, and damned, like the walking dead? I don't know if you noticed, but... But zombies have been pretty popular in the last decade or two. Before you tune me out in this one, I'm not just making a, a culturally relevant connection to one of my favorite TV shows of the last decade. Yes, I am a fan of The Walking Dead. <laughs> but, but really, I'm talking about the story of your life and my life. Your, your life and my life apart from Jesus. Babette Buster, a woman who has helped to shape some of the great stories told through the movie, says that every great story is the tale of a person coming fully alive or a cautionary tale of someone who lives life as the walking dead. So which is your story? Listen, when Paul writes the words, once you were, some of us listening, those words are not past tense for us. For us, they should read present tense. And now you are dead, doomed, and damned. And and some of us, we're no longer damned, but damn it if we don't keep living like we're dead and doomed. I mean, just, just take a moment and ask yourself, what story am I living? Close your eyes and just pause for a moment. Think back over the last week. Are there any places where your life is filling up with sin or are you living like there is no heaven? Living like Jesus doesn't really matter. I mean, don't miss this. This is not a message of condemnation. That's not who we are at Calvary. That's not who I am. That's certainly not who Jesus is. But if we don't understand how deep the depth of darkness is in our souls without Christ, if we don't understand how much we need Jesus, we'll never come close to the edge of God's amazing, amazing grace. And we hear it in Paul's words in verses 4 through 7. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so very much that even while we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's special favor, by his grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and we're seated with him. We're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, all because we are, we are one with Christ Jesus. And, and so God can always point to us as examples of the incredible wealth of his favor, his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he's done for us through Christ Jesus. I was a nobody. I was dead, doomed, and damned. But God, man, I, I love those two words, but God. If you have your Bibles out, circle those words, highlight them, underline them in your Bible, but God. I know it sounds sacrilegious, but I love God's but the butts of God are scattered throughout scripture. This is one of my favorites. These two words, those two words are the turning point of my story. They, they mark the point where God turned my story into his story. Dan was dead, but God who is so rich in mercy, but God who is so rich in mercy, gave him life, new life, amazing grace. Dan could not try hard enough without messing up. He's good at lying. He's always struggled with selfishness and pride. He's hurt other people, and once or twice, he actually felt pretty good about doing it. He did not deserve a seat at the table with Christ in the heavenly realms. But God... But God, who is so rich in mercy, raised him up and gave him a seat right there beside Jesus. No matter how hard he tried, Dan would never be good enough. Not a good enough father, certainly not a good enough husband, good enough pastor, not good enough to make a difference in the world. But God, but God, because he loves me so very much, he's rewriting my story. He's making me a masterpiece of grace, a doer of good, a giver of grace. Why because there was a day when God gave me grace, and by faith, I reached out and grabbed all the grace I could grab. What does Paul say in Ephesians 2 8? We'll hit it in the next episode. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourself, it's a gift. It's the gift of God. We were dead, doomed, and damned. But God, <laughs> but God. Who is rich in mercy and loves us so very much, he raised us from the dead. Can I tell you what this means? If you were once dead and now you're alive, it's nothing but grace, it's nothing but God. You didn't do anything to make yourself undead. There's no room for pride because there was no partnership in your resurrection. Resurrection does not come from within us, it's purely outside. You know, the world today thinks that all of our problems come from the outside and they can be solved by what's inside of us. But resurrection is a reminder that all of our problems, our greatest problems are inside of us. And the only solution comes from outside. It comes when resurrection powers let loose. Can you imagine Jesus going to Lazarus dead for days in a tomb and yelling out, now, Lazarus, I want to resurrect you from the dead, but you're going to have to do something first. (laughs) No, he was dead. Jesus called out to heaven. He called out to God, and then Lazarus lived. But listen to me. Not only is resurrection an act of grace, so is the fact that not only did God raise us from the dead, he gave us a place at the table. He seated us with him. He seated us with Jesus. He seated us in the heavenly realms. And we're going to talk about that heavenly realms idea in another episode or two, because that's that's pretty it's pretty unique, Paul's language here. But he seated us at the table with Christ. We have a place at the table. Can I tell you what I think? I think that while most of us realize that we had nothing to do with our resurrection, that we had nothing to do with the resurrection of our hearts, our souls, nothing to do with the new life that has been given to us in spite of the grace given to us in the resurrection, we find ourselves busy trying to earn our seat at the table in the heavenly places. But even that, it's only by grace. It is only by grace that instead of being dead, we're alive. It's only by grace that instead of being doomed, we've got a seat at the table. It's only by grace that instead of being damned, we're part of the family. Amazing, amazing grace God has poured out upon us. So here's what I think we should do. Find some time today, if you are no longer dead, doomed, or damned, find some time today to celebrate resurrection, to celebrate your seat at the table. Find some time today and tell God thank you for his great big butt of mercy and grace. It is so, so amazing. Listen again to the first part of Ephesians 2. Once you were dead, Paul says, you were doomed forever because of your many sins. You used to walk... Live just like the rest of the world, full of sin, obeying Satan, the mighty prince of the power of the air. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And all of us used to live that way, following the passions and the desires of our evil nature. We're born with an evil nature and under God's anger, just like everyone else. But God, oh my goodness, but God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even while we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by his grace that you've been saved, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ, and we are seated with him in the heavenly realms, all because we are one with Christ Jesus. Let me pray. Father, thank you for each and every person listening to this episode. God, thank you for the grace that you've poured out upon so many. Thank you that in spite of the fact that we were dead, doomed, and damned forever, that you gave us life. You gave us a seat at the table. You you put us in Christ. You gave us the seal of your Holy Spirit. We are in Christ, and in Christ, we have a seat at the table. God, would you just find a way personally to minister that truth, to, to ground that truth, to saturate that truth in the soul of each and every person listening, that they are in Christ, seated at the table by your grace, that in spite of all the bad crud of our, of our stories, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much. We thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.